0: would sound they've
1: Living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte.
2: Hi, welcome to Living with Your Dog. I'm Charlotte Pels, certified dog behavior consultant. Regular listeners know I am a huge fan of Dr. Patricia McConnell and This is something from her. She is the author of The Other End of the Leash, which is a book every dog owner should have read and reread for sure. So she says, welcome to an ongoing inquiry about the behavior of people and dogs. Dogs, cats, and music, ready to be surprised? Not sure what kind of music to play over the holidays, so we're a little bit beyond holidays, but that's okay. Here's some tips. If you've invited orangutans to Christmas dinner, and who hasn't, they would prefer silence. (laughs) Since some chimpanzees like rock music better than quiet, while other chimps are more social when hearing classical music with a slow tempo. Lambs put on more weight when listening to random noises, but were calmed by classical music. Fast tempos increased locomotion and tail wagging in pigs. And pieces of Mozart reduced heart rates in hypertensive rats. You're welcome. I'm sure you were wondering. You might also wonder if I've lost my mind, but no. I'm inspired to write about animals and music after reading a fascinating article by one of the, the most influential mentors, Dr. Charles Snowden. The article, Animal Signals, Music and Emotional Wellbeing, is a thorough review of the research on the effects of music on non-human animals. It's absolutely worth checking out. In Dr. Snowden's words, The use of music to influence the emotional well-being of our pets, farm animals, and zoological parks depends on our understanding, the communication system of other species, and the variety of emotional states that can be induced through different types of music. My goal is to help those managing animal facilities or advising pet owners to be more aware of the issues involved in using music with animals, as well as provide advice to researchers investigating effects of music on animals, end of quote. So she says, let's focus our attention on dogs and cats for now, given that few of us have invited orangutans for Christmas dinner. No doubt you've heard of music being used to calm dogs in shelters and might have experienced this yourself. You might also be aware, though, that the studies done so far on dogs have mixed results. Some studies found that classical music increased sleep and rest, while rock increased nervousness. Have had different results. One study, for example, found that listening to an audiobook calmed dogs in a shelter while music did not. And there's a table here that you could go to if you were to go to her site. So what's going on, she says. Dr. Snowden's primary points are these. First, we need to be careful about making assumptions regarding music, all classical music, and she's using classical music in quotations, is not soothing. Ever heard the finale of the William Tell Overture? Second, there is solid research that certain types of music have similar effects on emotion and behavior in mammals, no matter the culture or the species of the listener. Quiet music with slow, continuous notes and descending pitches tend to calm ma- mammals, while fast tempos, louder sounds, and staccato noted pieces tend to rouse them. Thus, we call our dogs most successfully by saying, pop, 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 not come. We say stay rather than stay, stay, stay. But the other important point of the paper, one that is often overlooked, is the importance of understanding an animal's own repertoire and how that might affect influence its response to different types of music. Here for me is where it gets really fun. What if one used the principles above, but more closely aligned with the sounds of an animal's natural repertoire? Okay, and then there's a picture of a cotton-top tamarind from uh, from Wikipedia. <clears throat> okay, this is exactly what Snowden and his collaborator, uh, David T did with cotton-top tamarinds, a highly vocal species, Tamarins have a vocal range three octaves higher than us and a heart rate three times as fast. Snowden and T created music, and this is in quotes, that followed the basic principles listed above, but designed to be speci- species appropriate. They compared the reactions of the monkeys to these pieces as well as to human-based music with the same features. Sure enough, the subjects were less active and more comfortable with the tamarind-based comedy music and more active with the opposite type. But they showed no observable reaction to either kind of human-based music, with the one ex- exception of decreased locomotion to heavy metal music. No mm-hmm. comment, she says.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <clears throat> their second study involved cats. They chose cats over dogs because their size, heart rates, and voices are more homogenous composing cat-based music as they had for the monkeys. These sounds were an octave higher than human speech, included glides, which are common in feline vocalizations, and tempos matching that of purring. The cats responded much like the tamarins. They showed great interest in the calming cat-based music, and were significantly calmer when listening to it than in human music. In addition, Most importantly, one of their more recent studies compared cat music, human music, and silence in veterinary clinics and found that the cat music significantly decreased stress related behavior compared to the other choices. And you can hear cat-based music at musicforcats.com. There was no response to the human classical music. And so there appeared to be little benefit for the cats anyway of playing it. Although perhaps the humans enjoyed it. (laughs) You can download the music or purchase CDs from $17 to $25 at musicforcats.com slash shop. It's clearly more difficult to do this with dogs but I'm sure you'll join me in crossing my paws that someone somewhere follows up on this and create music specifically calming for dogs. And she says, I'd love to hear your experience with music, dogs, and cats. All anecdotes welcome, and don't hesitate and a horse ferret or even better parrots we all know that music can get amazing responses from them and and it's it's really interesting about any of you that spend time of, of watching some youtubes have surely seen the cockatiel that is dancing on the on the back of a chair and i mean he's just pounding away with the beat of the music and and oh big that's
1: big. Uh, <laughs> uh what was his name i love that little guy it's the one with no feathers Oh, no, it's White Feathers. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm watching a different cockatiel. But, yeah, they they <laughs> love that music. It, it, oh, yeah. I think every species, every animal on the planet loves music. We hope. Is, hmm. a, but obviously. Is, is affected by music, can be affected by
2: music. Yes, but obviously it's, it's species-specific. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's there's a YouTube that circulates, and this man is playing a piano out in a field, and there's an elephant there. And, and using time with the trunk.
1: Yeah. I've <laughs> seen that with elephants. I've seen it with horses, all sorts of different cows. Yeah. All sorts of different animals.
2: Yeah. It's, it's really, it's
1: very interesting. The power of music. And music calms the savage beast. Uh uh-huh. <laughs> That's, that's one thing. My saying is I've always said this. There's a music for every emotion, you know, as, as humans, we have our music that we like in certain times. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, if I'm angry, if I'm angry, I'm playing heavy metal. If I'm, (laughs) you know, if I'm happy, you know, I'm playing some like reggae or like R and B type of stuff. Of course, R and (laughs) B is blues, but you know,
2: (laughs) right. You know, there there's definitely music for moods, no question about it. Um, And and I'm you know I I years ago I used to to listen to music, but when I was living in Mexico, because I couldn't get English based. Mm -hmm. stations and that sort of thing, I, for 25 years, I got out of the habit of of following up with that stuff. And, you know, I just, and now I haven't got any television, Uh, not that that's a big deal, but there's a you know connection somehow. So anyhow, it's, it's pretty interesting. And she comes up with some of the most wonderful topics and approaches and, and
1: yeah, I love this topic. We have not in the, I think the five, almost six years we've been doing the show, we have not ever, touched on music and animals and i'm really fascinated by the species appropriate music do you, right. do you know any a little bit more about that can you explain no i don't know
2: anything more about it but it, it makes perfect sense you know as so they checked with the tamarins
1: and what happens with the cats um and so it, it, it sounded like in that article to make it species appropriate they tried to use the same rhythms Something like that. Yeah. And, and, and uh, tones that is that the animal uses itself.
2: Right. Like some of the music for cats was like
1: uh, duplicating purring type rhythm. Right. Right. That makes total sense. And I'm surprised that if, if this there's a whole website and CDs for cats, this hasn't been done for dogs. That's apparently that's not yet. Yeah. Oh, it's got to well, be out there somewhere.
2: It, it may be. If, if it isn't, if it is, she doesn't know about it yet. Which is surprising. You know. Yeah, so I think it probably hasn't been done yet. It's it's interesting um, working with cats instead of dogs, but there are so many species of dogs compared to species of cats Mm, that that's going to restrict the value of the information because you know the the temperament of a chihuahua compared to a great dane is amazingly different. Amazingly different. They're dogs.
1: But that's a good point.
2: That, that and, well, and, and the
1: mentality between a Chihuahua and another Chihuahua are going to be different. Mm-hmm. You know, one one dog, one species of dog may like this music, but the same species of dog, in fact, the brother or sister of that dog could like could not like that music.
2: It's that's possible. A, I, I suspect the there
1: would be. I, I suspect
2: there will be species tendencies. However,
1: yeah, I, because I of for sure. you know
2: the the general uh, personality characteristics while you have individuals when, within the husky breed and individuals within the Chihuahua breed and individuals within the Labrador breed there are still uh, tendencies for those breeds mm. and that's something that would would be a value when trying to um, trying to figure out what the music is doing with dogs but with cats there are so fewer breeds that' it's, it's probably much easier to do studies. There And then that, of course, can be useful when applied to studying dogs.
1: Okay. Uh, Could you elaborate on that a bit? The value of knowing what music can do for your animal?
2: Well, I think that, for example, uh, something that is often suggested, many of our dogs are left alone for long hours of the day. Yeah. I I am not a fan of that kind of a lifestyle for dogs. But it happens that people get a dog, they leave the house at seven in the morning and they get back at six at night. Mm -hmm. And they take the dog out for a walk and they sit down and have a cocktail in their dinner and they go to bed. I don't think that's a good life for dogs. But one of the things that surfaces is having the TV on or having music playing. Another thing that surfaces is um, having the the ability to video so that you can see what your dogs are doing during the course of the day, video cameras. Mm -hmm. Dogs spend a lot of time sleeping during the course of the day. If they don't have a a programmed activity for themselves that you have built in, they're going to spend a lot of time sleeping. That doesn't mean it's good or bad. It means that's what it is. But providing them with some form of mental stimulation, One has to use care because the more they're stimulated with mental stimulation, the more likely they need to defecate or urinate as compared to just resting. Really? Sure, because exercise promotes the need to eliminate. So the more they're moving around, the more likely they are to have that need addressed. And if they're home alone and they're running around and getting very active and they can't get out, it could be detrimental to their health if they hold it and it could be a mess to clean up when you get there. <clears throat>
1: right. We know so, about that.
2: <laughs> one of the things that is very really very important for people who have to work and do want to have dogs uh, as companions is to set up arrangements that somebody gets in there at least the middle of the day and gets them out for a walk, not just to potty but to get out and move around a little bit so that they've got some social interaction as well as an opportunity to properly eliminate and th- one of the problems with just having somebody stop in and take them out and let them potty and put them back in is they'll get smart and they won't go out and potty right away
1: because the guy will be leaving
2: <laughs> yeah right they'll figure <laughs> it out but you know as soon as i potty i go back in the house i don't want to do that so i'll just stand around out here and do my thing <laughs> so it's you know it, it's just it's indicative that it's They're social creatures, and we we should never forget that.
1: So, yeah, there could be, there are benefits to to, to music. (laughs) Music benefits us. It can benefit them. Now, can you explain a little bit about, she said something about animal repertoire, understanding an animal's repertoire. What does that mean? Uh, Probably what their
2: experiences are during the course of a day, a week, a year, a month, whatever that what they are able to do, you know, are they um, trick-minded? Are they barkers? Are they, what is their, their behavior in general? What are their needs in general?
0: Okay. You
2: know, what are their requirements that, and it's going to change. Um, I remember many years ago, I was, when I was living in Mexico, there was somebody that had two miniature schnauzers and schnauzers are barkers. I, I can assure you they're barkers. <laughs> There's no question about it. Giant schnauzers standard schnauzers miniatures they're barkers and she was living in a, a small community that she had a very tiny little yard right around her um, back door and people had to pass to get to their houses and so on and her little schnauzers were barking at them all of the time and i said why don't you have them sit when the people go by <laughs> and they sat and didn't bark <laughs> just sit sitting in so- just from sitting, they were being asked to do something, and they did it, and they were concentrating on that.
1: All right. <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. So
2: and then, it gives you an opportunity to reinforce quiet, you know, so that they're being quiet, and they get up and bark, and they're not getting those streets closed. In it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wow. thought that was pretty. Funny.
1: I really like this topic. I hope we uh, get to hear more about music and animals.
2: Well, I hope that she comes up with more. Um, we'll see. Okay. Yeah. Okay, how about something from Dr. Judy Morgan? I'm a huge fan of Dr. Judy Morgan's. She has a great blog. I strongly urge you to sign up for it.
1: And, and what's she that has, blog?
2: That's Friday Five, Dr. Judy Morgan's Friday Five. Gotcha. <clears throat> she comes up with one every single Friday. And this one is dilated cardiomyopathy again. Oh, and we yeah. talked about cardiomyopathy recently uh, because of it showing up in breeds that are not normally, routinely affected by it. And it was being considered that it must have nothing to do with grain-free mm-hmm. food. So now she says, no one knows for sure why some breeds are having difficulty or whether the problem is low taurine, low taurine absorption, interference with taurine production, or an ingredient in the food that is toxic to the heart. The usual breeds such as Dobermans, Boxers, and Great Danes will continue to top the list for dilated cardiomyopathy problems. But why are we seeing it in small breeds and breeds that have not been genetically prone to DCM? And why are they not seeing this problem in Europe? Hmm. Which is interesting. Board certified nutritionists are recommending that pet owners continue to trust that large pet food manufacturers <laughs> with years of experience producing high quality food. I, you know, that's just so unreal. And, and she's, a, she's a promoter of home prepared food. Okay. Including those that have been found to have pentobarbital in their food. So this is, you know, these are producers of high quality food that have mm. pentobarbital. And if you recall, that's the euthanizing drug, which means that pets euthanized pets have gone into the product. It's the yeah. only way you can get the pentobarbital in there. Oh, gross. Okay. So those big companies are making just as much grain-free food as the smaller boutique companies. Since grains do not contain taurine, feeding grain is not the solution to the problem. Many of those large manufacturers were incriminated in one report. And that that became a a hassle uh, that they were being named without real proper testing. Many of the dogs tested for taurine were found to have adequate blood taurine levels, even though they had full blown DCM. So supplementing taurine may not be the solution to the problem. Hmm. While the cardiologists are seeing this disease more often in dogs, they are not claiming the same issues for cats. However, I saw a four-year-old cat with dilated cardiomyopathy The cat was eating a grain-free food, which cats should never be eating dry food ever. Cat food has been supplemented with taurine for years, as it is an essential amino acid for cats. Is there a connection here? At this point in time, there are more questions than answers. I have never recommended feeding high-starch diets to dogs or cats. Peas, chickpeas, lentils, potatoes, and other high-starch ingredients may or may not be the problem, associated with the increase in dilated cardiomyopathy. I just don't think they are a good addition to the diets of our pets for many reasons. Obesity, insulin resistance, diabetes, and other inflammatory conditions are seen more often in pets eating large amounts of these ingredients. While the cardiologists at Tufts recommend against feeding raw or home-prepared diets, you can see where they're getting their their education, the the
1: pets. (laughs) Yes, I can tell.
2: I can only attest to the benefits, she says, I have seen in my own dogs by feeding these diets. All my Cavaliers have developed mitral valve disease, disease, a different disease from dilated cardiomyopathy, but heart disease nonetheless. They have eaten raw and home-prepared diets for years. The average life expectancy for a Cavalier once placed on heart medication is under three years. We have far surpassed that in all our cats. Coincidence? I think not. So, that's Dr. Judy Morgan's take on that processed stuff, and it's just again and again. When you're talking in terms of all dry food is high in carbohydrates. I don't care whether it says it's grain free or it's not grain free. The extruder, the machine that pumps out those little pieces, requires carbohydrates in large quantity in order to form them. And in large quantity, we're talking generally a minimum of forty percent. So that's 40% of what dogs don't need that they could need, do need, and could put to good use. So that should get your attention.
1: <clears throat> wow. That's like making a meal for yourself, taking 40% of it and throwing it in the trash, and then putting, I don't know, cardboard on your plate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> mm, yum. Uh All right. Let's I'd like to do a little bit of review for our listeners. Could you tell me a little bit about what dilated cardiomyopathy is?
2: Well, it's it's obviously a heart disease. Now, what exactly happens to the heart? I can't tell you because I am not a veterinarian. So dilated means it increases in size and the cardiomyopathy is referring to the heart. So and
1: it's not good, obviously. It's not good. And it's it is caused (laughs) by too much taurine or we don't know why We don't
2: know we don't know no we don't even know yet no we don't know uh no one knows for sure why some breeds are having difficulty or whether the problem is low taurine low taurine absorption interference with taurine production or an ingredient in the food that is toxic to the heart Mm. so we don't know but taurine is required for cats and it is uh it definitely is part of what should be given to the dogs as well
1: Okay, and so they put the chemical the chemical portion or they put a chemical version of taurine in the dry dog and cat mm-hmm. feed. Now, if I'm making a home prepared meal, what can I use naturally to give my I dog think it comes in the meat. I think it comes in meat. Oh, it's that simple. Sure. Oh. Well then give your dog a raw meaty bone.
2: <laughs> well then you're talking bone. And that's probably not going to be enough meat to be able to do it.
1: Now, uh, okay. When, just give your dog some meat.
2: When you're talking in terms of feeding a raw diet, you don't just put raw meat in the bowl or cooked right. meat in the bowl. We do have to have the calcium phosphorus blend. And we've talked about that that ratio totally, uh, yeah. many, many times. And it's it's easy to find it again online. So they have to have bones or some form of calcium that they can digest to balance the phosphorus in the meat. And it, so it's not just pouring some meat in a, meat in the bowl and saying, you've got it taken care of. But again, what we're saying here is species specific nutritional needs. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. Right. And there's no dog I've ever known that grazed in a cornfield. I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> Never saw it. I'm writing that down. Never saw a dog graze in a cornfield. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Okay. Living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte. What's next?
2: Going along with pet feed food. Can rendered pet food food ingredients be human grade. This is from Susan Thixon. Some rendered ingredients are human grade, but do human grade rendered ingredients go to pet food? All animal protein pet food ingredients include the word meal are rendered ingredients, chicken meal, chicken byproduct meal, and we don't know what that is, beef meal, lamb meal, and so on. Animal-sourced fat ingredients are also considered a rendered ingredient. In the Federal Register, the FDA defines a renderer as, and this is a quote, any firm or individual that processes, slaughtered, that processes slaughter byproducts, animals unfit for human consumption, including carcasses of dead cattle or meat scraps. <clears throat> okay, that's a renderer. The USDA defines rendering as, and this is the quote, rendering is an off-site process that uses heat to convert animal carcasses into safe, pathogen-free feed protein and other valuable end products while reducing the negative effects of the carcasses on people and the environment. Now, these are carcasses nice. that could have been sitting out there in the back of a uh, dumpster truck or a semi for or days.
1: Or euthanized. <laughs>
2: Yeah. A 2004 report prepared for Congress by Congressional Research Services explains rendering as renderers convert dead animals and animal parts that otherwise would require disposal into a variety of materials including edible and inedible tallow and lard and proteins such as meat and bone meal. End of quote. All of these definitions indicate that rendered pet food ingredients are inferior quality at best sourced from raw materials that are waste would require disposal. But the USDA gives us additional information that not all rendered ingredients are recycled waste feed ingredients. And this is a quote. Rendering plants may be either integrated with existing packing or poultry processing plants or independent receiving animal carcasses from farms, ranches, or other entities and other entities before, I continue with the rest of the code, could be pet, pet uh, stores that they have dead animals that they have, or pet breeders, stores. or uh, uh, animal shelters. Those animals go someplace. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Okay, continuing. Integrated rendering plants may produce edible fats and proteins that are often used in the manufacture of gelatins or cosmetics if they mm. conform to food and drug administration processing standards. These edible materials must come from USDA inspected and past carcasses. Edible rendering is completely separate from inedible rendering, even in integrated plants. Rendering facilities are either integrated, which is a quoted, a quoted word, meaning they are part of USDA slaughter facilities or they are independent, in quotes, completely independent of any USDA processing facility. The USDA information tells us that integrated rendering facilities process two very different types of raw materials edible and inedible edible and inedible rendered ingredients are processed in completely separate areas of an integrated rendering facility there that's in quote completely separate independent renderers <laughs> produce solely inedible ingredients edible equals human grade edible rendered ingredients are only sourced from inspected and past animal materials. Inedible equals feed grade. Inedible rendered ingredients could be sourced from any of the following. Inspected and past animal materials, though we assume the majority of this material goes to edible rendering. Inspected and condemned animal materials, such as diseased animal parts and or non-slaughtered animal carcasses. If your pet's food contains a rendered ingredient, you deserve to know if the ingredient is edible or inedible, human grade or feed grade. Unfortunately, the FDA doesn't agree. Hmm. The FDA told us that they did not believe transparency of pet food ingredient quality would help consumers to know specifically how pet food differs from human food. That's a quote from the FDA. On our own, with no help from regulatory authorities, pet owners can ask manufacturers if ingredients are edible or inedible. Manufacturers will often provide a sort of response that is less than transparent, such as all of our ingredients are the highest quality. Now, sometimes I will
1: say a natural.
2: Yeah, yeah, our stickers is natural. So is lead.
1: Yeah, the high, we have the highest quality. Mm-hmm.
2: All animal protein ingredients are sourced from USDA facilities. All of our ingredients are considered pet feed grade because we manufacture in a pet food facility. None of the responses answers your question. Highest quality could mean inedible be great. It's opinion, yeah. not a quality standard. USDA facilities produce both edible and edible pet food ingredients and pet food manufacturing facilities could source either quality, edible or an inedible ingredient. They alone choose the quality ingredient and you deserve to know. Don't make the mistake to believe marketing claims hmm. and never believe websites. Some Manufacturers might give the impression in their marketing they only use edible ingredients, but we've learned later their claims weren't quite true. As example, Champion Pet Food and Avengers Pet Food, and I think those were recalled. One more thing. Just to give pet owners an idea of how much edible ingredients are processed into pet food, the 2004 report prepared for Congress, and this was a quote before, on the rendering industry stated, U.S. farm animal mortalities in 2000, 2000, included approximately 4.1 million cattle and calves, totaling 1.9 million pounds, 18 million hogs, a billion pounds, 833,000 sheep, lambs, and goats, 64 million pounds, and 82 million chickens and turkeys, 347 million pounds. Those are inedible ingredients that go into pet feed. All of those
1: billions of pounds (coughs) went into our dogs. Wow. Yep and cats.
2: Based on statistics nearly 20 years old, 3.3 billion pounds of just non-slaughtered animal carcasses are rendered into feed-grade inedible ingredients with no disclosure to pet owners. We can safely assume that number is significantly higher today. Are you comfortable with your pet consuming inedible ingredients? Take the time to question your pet food manufacturer. Are the ingredients edible? I'm Susan (coughs) Fixton. nothing could oh. ever comes that i can see from the pet feed industry it just doesn't no they're, all they're doing is they're they're answering to the needs of their stockholders follow uh, the money follow the money
0: Follow yeah, the
1: money. yeah <laughs> i can't uh, when you were saying all those billions and billions of dead animals the only thing i kept thinking about was how disgusting it would be to see uh big conglomerate owner looking at all those dana- animals going, Ooh, that's money. <laughs> uh, right. That's so gross. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, it's- so rendered rendered. When we see that, that means, well, obviously it could be in edible or inedible rendering being done. right. It's,
2: it's putting all of that stuff into um, a form that can be put to use in the the machines that make the food
1: feed, okay. and that stuff also makes what cosmetics and other things too. It can, it can
2: go into that stuff.
1: Uh, now there have there
2: have been efforts in recent years. You may or may not have noticed them. You know the companies that. Um, will indicate that they don't use live rabbits for testing their, their products and so on, which has
1: happened over the years. Yeah. I just thought that was testing. I didn't know that was like animal product in like the lipstick and stuff like that. That's
2: well, it, apparently it can be, you know, Oof.
1: but all this stuff goes in, who knows? Another right. reason I'm glad I'm a guy. Um, okay. One of the things I did want to stress that Susan Thixton said, and this of course is by Susan Thixton's truth about pet food, which is a great resource. She says, do not believe what you see on the websites. That's right. Because there
2: is no screening of claims on the website. There is a screening of claims on a package or on the labeling. But another thing that's happened, and we talked about this recently, I think that the law changed back in 2007. It used to be very uh, well controlled that what was presented on the front of a package truly reflected what was inside the package. Right. And that stopped being the case. I wonder how they pulled that off, folks. <laughs> so, for example, the one that um, it just always gets me crazy is Beneful. And every once in a while, I went to a supermarket, I'll see somebody with a big bag full of it in their cart, and I just want to scream. So, Benefil's bag, and it's very inexpensive and it's made by Purina. Uh, I think it'll have pictures like of green beans and carrots on the front of the package. If you pick up the package and you bother to read the label, you will see that they show up at like number 18 and they're dehydrated.
1: When you say the label, you mean the ingredients, correct? Yes, the label, okay. the, the ingredients um, on the on the label itself. Right.
2: It's, I it's, think you have to go all the way down to about ingredient number 18, and then it's dehydrated. So they're misleading you by putting fresh carrots and green beans on the front of the package. You're thinking that there are green beans and carrots in there. <laughs> First of all, by the time you get down to number 18, it's, Maybe a width of a carrot that went in there. It's <laughs> yes, you know, a
1: percentage th- of a percentage.
2: A percentage of a percentage. What we're talking about—that's very important—is the top five ingredients. And I'm not promoting that anybody drive eat dry feed dry feed for your dogs and cats. But in the top five ingredients, there should be two to three sources of meat protein, and consistently the the poor the quality. And again, that's. Generally, the least expensive. But sometimes you can pay money, high-end, big-time money, for something like science diet, and you'll find corn is the first label, <laughs> the first ingredient on the label. So you know they've come into a lot of questions uh, of recent. But we're talking in terms of the the top five ingredients should have two to three listings of some form of meat protein,
1: and, and it shouldn't say chicken meal, right? We don't want to see the words meal in that top five. Well, if, if there's, there's some always some kind of question about that, but
2: it's not the same. What we do know is if, it, if you see the word chicken at the top, for example, mm-hmm. that means it is fresh chicken that went into the combination of ingredients, but fresh chicken is what, 75% water. So by the time it's processed, you haven't got chicken as the top ingredient in the finished product. Hmm. And the other thing is the way the labeling can work. And we've talked about this before is there are many ways to say corn or other grains. And the more often it appears when you clump them all together, you have a really high percentage of that stuff that's in there as compared to the meat source protein so certainly turkey meal and chicken meal and beef meal or whatever would be better than corn but mm. it's it's and we just have to learn you know and and these the, these pet feed companies don't don't want you to know that they don't want you to learn how to read labels and it's 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 really it's really sad um, I, I just People are so taken and, you know, we're told to check to trust your veterinarian. Well, you can't trust your veterinarian. If you look in there, his his office is stacked high with all kinds of processed pet feed. Well, and we
1: can't I just want to make stress the point. We can't trust our veterinarian when it comes to nutrition.
2: Nutrition. Absolutely. And, and, and we trust him on all, all sorts of levels for yes. sure. Yes, They have a lot to study, and I appreciate that. But they do not study nutrition, nor do human doctors study nutrition, unless they have made a special effort to do so. Because the the format for medical, veterinary, human medicine, and veterinary medicine is not prevention. It's cure, cut it out. It's not prevention. So it takes... A veterinarian or an alternative medicine doctor to say wait a minute let's try to prevent these things from happening and one of the top ways to prevent many of these things from happening is proper nutrition and that means species specific that means what is appropriate for the dog that or the cat that or the human or the human mm. <clears throat> for sure mm. wow. yeah I, again you know I, I I promote it's probably it's too expensive for most people to buy you should get your local library to get point the bone at cancer by dr ian billinghurst and he just drums away at the importance of nutrition 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 and point the bone at cancer is an australian aborigine uh, expression that means you point the bone at something and you're going to kill it it's going to die
1: <laughs> and that was dr ian billinghurst right yes yeah okay.
2: yeah He's quite a guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember when he had, when we had him on, Oh, what a great show. He was so informative and so down to earth and so, and so concerned about all of our dogs, which is, which is what you want in a, in a doctor.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And his, you know, he's the one that got me started back when he wrote, give your dog a bone, I think in the nineties. And so I've been doing this for a very, very long time. And uh, he, uh, he found you know, Tom Lonsdale was another veterinarian and also in Australia, they were buddies at one time and they've fallen apart because they've right. taken a different path, but they could not get their articles printed in veterinary uh, magazines and such. They wouldn't
1: allow it. And that's still kind of going on. The, the Tom, suppression sure of, the, <laughs> of the dog animal truth. I mean, we heard from Susan Fixton <laughs> that they don't even let her into like the, 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 those yeah. meetings and stuff.
2: Well, they they tried that and discovered that they really had to they they had to back off. Yeah. Dr. Karen Becker and and, and Susan were both pre, um, prevented from attending a meeting, but that backfired big time. And there will be, I think it's next week. There's another AAFCO meeting, and we should have some current information from Ooh. her after that. We should get in that. touch
1: with her, see how that went. Oh, she'll let me know. <laughs> All right, maybe we'll have to have her on again. <laughs> <For sure. clears throat> Yeah, hey, that's hey, there, there's one way to make money suppression of the truth
2: oh yeah yeah it, it's <laughs> so it's sad. just um it, it's it never Soiled ceases to amaze me how important it is you know that we just simply greed we just we just are so taken advantage of and totally. and we i think people are, are much much better than they used to be much better. Oh, Just yeah. as we we discovered that some of the, the recalls <clears throat> for products that killed animals didn't come from the industry it came from consumers whose pets died that they demanded attention to it and then it was discovered that the, the there there was you know was bad stuff in the in the feed. So There is a much more aware public, not as much as we want and hope to have, but much, much more
1: aware. But we're getting there. (laughs) I mean, just in the time that we've been doing our show, like I said, it's been about five, almost six years. I've seen a change in dog owners uh, and, and dog products, in dog food that's available in the grocery store. Like I said, I now see packages of chicken feet. (laughs) <laughs> Just sitting there right next to the chicken breasts. And yes. I don't know of any human that uses those in any <laughs> ingredient of any. F- yeah,
2: I, I, I use them to make chicken
1: stock. Okay. That makes sense. I can see that. Yeah. yeah, but, I <laughs>
2: make stock, but there, are, there aren't very many people that bother to make their own stock anymore. But you know, I've you been might... <laughs> seeing
1: the change and I think you have too, all over the place. All the dog owners. I mean, I, Five years ago, I was having to tell people what uh, a species appropriate meal was or, you know, <laughs> that you that you can give your dog a bone. Right. And right. nowadays people are dog owners are telling me this.
2: Yeah, it's which for is sure. Great. For sure. Yeah. No, it's it, it really it has changed. You know, the, the fact that the vet will tell you, oh, no, human grade food. And I have I have friends that they declare to me, oh, we never give her any human grade food. It's like yeah. Yeah. Really?
1: That it's makes like, no sense. It makes no sense. Yeah. We've all been brainwashed. We've all been brainwashed.
2: Well, it's the it's it's like fat and sugar for humans. The sugar yeah. industry is incredibly powerful and did a huge promotion about the downside of fat back, right. I don't know, 20 years ago or so. Uh-huh. And and it turned out that fat is essential for good health and sugar is killing us. Yep. And they hit the lottery, the sugar industry lottery was so powerful that they were able to pull this off. And now there's sugar in everything. Everything. <clears throat> yeah. Really? It's, it it's just uh, you know, we are more aware but not aware enough. Not
1: aware enough. Not aware <laughs> enough because we've like I said, we've been brainwashed for the last few decades. Yeah,
2: yeah my my friend Kitty as a veterinarian, and she bought a dog treat for her Staffordshire Bull Terrier, that is something she's bought in the past. And she feeds a raw diet. You know, She's definitely uh, on that bandwagon. Mm-hmm. But he got sick. He was vomiting uh, just all over the place, primarily a lot of watery type stuff, but a lot of mess to clean up. And she wrote a scathing letter To the company and once she saw that he was getting sick she removed that treat from the dog of course but she wrote a scathing letter telling them just what she thought of her dog and thank goodness she's a veterinarian and was able to take care of him it could have been Mm -hmm. hundreds of dollars worth of veterinary care if it had happened on a saturday night and you had to go to an emergency clinic so it is important for us to be aware and it's also important from, if you're going to insist on having dry dog feed, keep it in its original bag so that you've got lot size and dates and so on. if your dog does get sick, that you can report that. And if you dump it into the, the bin that you want to have it in, you're not going to have that information and you have no place to go for it.
1: I would assume that would be the same with anything we give our dogs, like our treats or our toys.
2: Absolutely. So keep the packaging
1: of the toys and the treats as well, so you know what's going into your dog.
2: Be sure to look very, very carefully at those labels to make certain it did not come from China. And I'm not against China and Chinese, but there have just been too many um, terrible instances of poor quality feed items that have come that have made dogs sick or not have killed them.
1: Is it because the regulations are even less than they are here over in China?
2: I think so. Um, And of course the melamine situation back, what 10 years ago was something like now. And now um, it was increased. It was included in feed to increase the protein count, which again is something very important. When people see the percentage of protein on a package, they are, presuming it's animal-based protein. Not true. Protein comes from other sources and they want you to believe it's animal-based and you not question it. But it turned out that nobody will ever know how many dogs died or were sick because until it had been around for a while, the veterinarians picked up on the fact that this is not coincidental. This is an association with that product. But initially, if They've been selling a product for a while and your dog or cat gets sick from it. They're not going to make a connection to it because it was okay before. Right. But the vitamin D um, uh, overkill that took place with excessive vitamin D in food was the chances are that many different feed companies were buying The vitamin D, which is important. Dogs cannot make enough of it themselves. They were buying it probably from the same source. And somebody said it was probably as simple as the fact that nobody bothered to stir up the bin. So it was heavily concentrated when it went into the feed. And dogs died. They died.
1: Wow. Wow. That is (laughs) <laughs> get off that dry dog food. We do not need to be giving those dumb companies any more money. Jeez.
2: I know. And, <sighs> you know, and, and don't think in terms that, you know, Mars or Purina or any of these companies are out to save your dog. They don't want to kill the dogs because then there'd be nothing to eat that stuff, but neither are they thinking, aiming, directing towards the best that can be done for dogs and cats.
1: Uh, as you always said, the quality of life,
2: that's quality right. quality
1: of life. It's so important right. that we provide that for our animals. And that starts with nutrition. It does. And people say, oh, I can't afford it. That's just not true. But one thing,
2: it's a part In part pay now or pay later. Later, it will be vet bills or pain and, and, and suffering on the part of your, your animal. But shopping wisely. Yes, it is much more convenient to open a package and take out a a couple that there's no question about it that's very convenient people have busy lives they've got more than their dog to take care of but it's not necessarily more expensive I shop wisely I shop carefully and I know that I don't spend two to three dollars a pound for what I feed my dog
1: I've seen the prices on those huge (laughs) dog feed bags that stuff is not cheap no, I th- I've seen
2: some and I haven't checked anything lately, but I saw something in excess of three, like three and a half dollars a
1: pound. Yeah. Like, I mean, even the cheap stuff in the grocery stores that you don't want us to get for sure, uh, even that stuff is really expensive. And and not only that, but they're like 50, 60 pound bags. Right. I mean, ugh.
2: yeah. And, and, and they'll buy that for their chihuahua, which, uh, you know, the, the stuff you shouldn't buy. If you're going to buy that stuff, and I want you not to buy it, but if you do buy it, buy to be consumed within two weeks or so, you know? Yeah. So it's more economical when you buy a big bag, but the fat gets bad, it goes rancid and uh, the, you know, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't stay the same once you open the package, it doesn't remain the same for very long.
1: No, I've smelt that smell. That's not a pleasant smell at all.
2: No. And, and periodically it shows up that foreign and foreign parts, pieces, traces oh, of yeah. metal, get into the bags. I mean, all kinds of things go into the packaging and it's, yeah. No, okay.
1: No, no. I, I Let's get on a lighter note. We only have a few minutes left. I have something that I've been wanting to ask you about because I met a new dog last week. Um, the breed of the dog. I'm not sure. Really. I think it was a five-year-old dog, really full of energy, really good dog, uh, really social. Um, Listen to cues. Uh but it loved to chase his tail and it would chase his tail so much in like one chase that it would, he would make himself really dizzy now as a dog. And it's cute. I mean, it's lovely to watch you get a big laugh and, you know, the dog gets aroused and stuff like that, but is it, do we want to keep our dogs from doing that? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: That's, that's, that's an, that I, I don't think that with with animals we call it obsessive com- uh, compulsive behavior, but that's what it is. There's another It did term, kind of look like that. Yeah, uh, there's another there's another specific term that is used with the dogs, and I've forgotten what it is. It's it's not healthy. And you're talking in terms of the people laughing. That's reinforcing it for the dog. Whatever exactly. may have started it, the dog is reinforced for it. So what's really necessary is to interrupt it change it, toss a bone out there. Let's go for a walk, something, so that it's not being reinforced. It is not healthy for the dog to do that.
1: Why is it not healthy for the dog to do that? Well something for one thing.
2: Spinning? For one thing, it's instead of behaviors that are productive, okay? Like okay. go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're not totally in control. It's not that they're it's not a desire to do it it's a compulsive behavior that's taking place oh and there are some breeds of dogs uh, dobermans are uh, are highly well known for flank sucking it's a breed that happens to have a genetic predisposition to flank sucking so they get they reach over and grab a part of the skin and and i don't know where i don't know where it's coming from but there are, and I don't know what breeds would be inclined to, to mention a breed that may be inclined to, to do tail chasing, but I think generally speaking, it's something that is just reinforced by the attention the dog gets, and it should be interrupted and it should not be encouraged.
1: Okay, because yeah, one of the things you often hear is that, oh, he's having fun with himself, he's entertaining himself.
2: I don't think so. No, I don't think that the dog generally does it for fun and then says, okay, I can move along and do something else for a while. They probably just fall in exhaustion from exhaustion.
1: Okay. It is not good to let dogs chase their tail.
2: I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, And sometimes I think it can start off because the dog has a problem with the tail. There may be fleas at the base of the tail that the dog is trying to get back there. It may be that they whack the tail against something and it's smarts and they're checking it out and they get attention for doing it. So, you know, this is, this is something that we always, whatever a behavior is, we want to find out why it's happening. So we don't just stop it. We want to get to the source so that we can prevent it from being repeated.
1: And so the then the reason a dog would be chasing its tail is just because it has some sort of compulsive behavior.
2: Is it there does any it other reason? Behavior for many dogs after a while, but how does it start off? What caused it? Was there an insatiable itch? Was it something that the dog did once just because, because it was trying to shoot its tail and you laughed at it and it got a reinforcement for it that you didn't even realize you were doing yeah so what we want to find out is what is the cause of it
1: well couldn't it be as simple as the dog you know sees something moving in the corner of its eye and and we you know you've said before that dogs are are inclined to movement and so they see this little movement coming out of the corner of their eye and they and they go for it and then it turns out it's their tail
2: it's a possibility um I recently saw something that was a dog that whose left hind foot was twitching and he was attacking the foot and people were laughing.
1: Uh-huh. Well, and you saw me. I just laughed.
2: It, it's it's not funny. <sighs> mm-hmm. You know, that that's not a normal canine behavior. Let's be serious.
1: That's a good thing, to, a good way to put it. Chasing his tail, it should not be a normal canine behavior.
2: It certainly shouldn't. What's gained? What's to be gained from doing that? You know, there, there's no benefit for the dog to do that. Mm. Obsessive compulsive behaviors are not in the best interest of the individuals, whether canine or humans that are doing it, but go to the source. Don't just tell the dog to stop, find out how this happened and redirect that energy until the dog has something else to do with its time.
1: And that would be management. Is that correct?
2: Management and training management could be interrupting the dog with, let's go for a walk or it's, it's ball chasing time or something. And we're talking in terms of training the dog to behave under different conditions. So for example, let's say I can't think
1: of an example, teaching your dog what to do. There we go. It's all about the quality of life. In fact, that could be the name of the show if it wasn't Living With Your Dog, because (laughs) they go hand in hand. We are living with our dog to make sure that our dogs have a good quality of life. Hence, the reason we do our show and we talk about things like from Patricia McConnell and the other end of the leash the behavior of people and dogs when it comes to music. And she was taking this from Dr. Charles Snowden, and they were talking about how music can affect our animals. And they're still studying it, but as we can tell, it affects us in, in ways, you know, you're feeling... You put on some chill music, some classical music, and you feel a little chill, or you put on some heavy metal and you feel like rocking out. <laughs> <laughs> there there are some advantages, and this is really interesting. I, I look forward to hearing more about the species-appropriate music. Hmm, all right. And then from Dr. Judy Morgan and, of course, her Friday 5, her Dr., Dr. Judy Morgan's Friday 5 blog. And this, again, we were touching on dilated cardiomyopathy, which is a heart disease that is been increasing in dogs and we still do not know why we have some maybe some ideas but i can tell you that it starts pretty much with nutrition so make sure you are giving your dog the species appropriate nutrition and then from susan thixton and the truth about pet food oh boy the rendering rendered pet food is it edible is it inedible? well rendered means pretty much what did i write down rendered means oh rendered means as far as i wrote down it's waste <laughs> uh be careful what you're giving your dog a lot of that tr- stuff that goes into the dry dog feed is not needed or is nasty and don't believe what you see on the dog feed websites and then lastly try to get your dog not to chase its tail it can be dangerous. Yeah. It's obsessive compulsive behavior, and those are not good for anybody. All right, Charlotte, before we head out, do you have any last words for us?
2: How about that? The only creatures that are evolved to convey pure love are dogs and infants. That's Johnny Depp, an actor. How about that? Living with your dog,
1: living with your dog, living
0: with your dog
1: with Charlotte.
0: Isn't that cool check out all the podcasts brought to you by redwood sound labs finally a podcast that's dedicated to talking about your favorite sports movies whether you want to hear a breakdown of the plot arguments about who's the mvp of the film or crit and lit about it you'll find it all on fields of glory Listen to the show that will help you live a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in the podcast Living With Your Dog. Zach and Matt are two horror movie enthusiasts of varying experience discussing horror movies through the scope of content, context, and comedy. They'll hit on the good ones in the classics, but they're really excited for the bad ones. Listen to... Watch No Evil. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on the Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L War Project.